Welcome back to Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, Dia Pinkana. With me, as always, is Jacob Sanderson at Jacob Sanderson on X. And uh, how, how are you doing? We've we have eclipsed week one. We are one seventeenth of the way through the season. Uh, how's it going? Doing good. How are you? I'm having a great time. Uh, we just finished watching Philadelphia Eagles versus Detroit Lions. Or not Detroit uh, Lions. Minnesota Vikings. Me as well have been against the Detroit Lions front office at the very least. Uh, Howie Roseman making, I don't even know who the GM in Detroit is, but he Brad basically... Holmes, bro. You don't, know, you don't know ball, dude. You don't know ball. I do not know GM names. That is true. Made him look like a fool because DeAndre Swift had the night of his life and I missed all of it except for like the last, I, I literally missed all of it, but it was great. I'm sure. Who do you think looked like the bigger fool, though? The Lions GM for trading him or his own coach for making Kenny Gainwell the unquestioned workhorse the first week of the season? <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm gonna assume that that was a locker room call. He didn't want to take Gainwell. Like, you know, he's got seniority. So there's a union. I imagine that some factor into the decision. Yeah, do you think this was all orchestrated? Like, where it was like, how can I get the better running back, the touches, but not alienate my veteran player. I'll let him have all the touches against the Patriots. We're going to beat them anyway. Yeah. And then we're going to find a way for him to develop some sort of fake injury. You know and what? Then you know we what? can start the season for real in week two. We need to launch an inquiry. Uh, <laughs> I would like to know where the Chargers' former trainer is. The one who like punctured Tyrod Taylor's Grabber. lung and put Justin Herbert into the driver's seat to be the best quarterback of all time. Like that guy, he deserves a medal and he was probably involved in this decision. Similar outcome. So I just, I don't know if you know this, but your camera or something, your lights went out or even a power outage, your flashlight ran out of batteries. I'm not sure what's happening, but you were sitting in the dark. I'm sitting in the dark. There you go. Now you're back. Oh, you know what's happening is I just uh, literally like the light is so tenuous that when I'm on StreamYard talking to you, the background is white, so you see what you see. And then I was like, I checked Twitter uh, to go find a tweet, and I have Twitter in dark mode, so that my screen goes black because <laughs> I'm looking at Twitter. And then it, it makes that's, that's really unfortunate because now you're gonna be able to tell every time I'm ignoring what you're saying and and scrolling on Twitter instead. That's tough. That's like half the podcast. That is hilarious, and uh, we should get <laughs> you some lights. That I'm should on be Twitter. something we, we put in the budget. Is I'm on StreamYard. We're going to light it. This is really good for the audio listeners, by the way. They're yeah. sure they're very entertained that within the first three minutes of this podcast, we're explaining um, how dark I look on a screen that they're not watching. Um, yeah, I, it was. we were talking in the Discord um, early Sunday where like it was such a role. I mean, Jenner Sif's entire career has been a roller coaster. Uh, and I'm sure that the roller coaster has not yet stopped. But... <laughs> Early Monday or early Sunday, uh, Rashad Penny is named a uh, healthy and active. And if you're somehow a person who like isn't in the Bulletproof Discord and also doesn't subscribe to Thinking About Thinking and like also doesn't follow me on Twitter, but you do listen to this podcast, which can't imagine is like a super high percentage of our listeners, <laughs> um, <laughs> then like you probably think that I still hate DeAndre Swift, which like in like a large scale thing, like I I kind of do, like I still have like um 
a lot of issues with some of the some of the choices he makes in the run game. But as the people who don't fall into that category would know, I did a pretty hard pivot, especially in seasonal leagues late, where there was this weird thing in August. He used to go with the six seven turn in best ball leagues. And then we get all this news. It's like Gainwell might be the one, It's but it's definitely not Penny. It's like Gainwell or Swift. And then Swift falls into the eighth. And I was like, look, the issue with Swift is he's not reliable, but he is explosive. Penny was more interesting because in theory, he's both explosive and reliable, but he's 27. He's had all these injuries. If all the people that are watching every day say he's cooked, like I, I believe that he's cooked. So if you take him out of the mix, it's him and Gainwell, who is like one of the least explosive players in the entire NFL, despite playing behind the best offensive line in the league um, for his entire career thus far, had a 0% explosive run rate in 2022. So to me, then it's like, all right, it's no contest. You know, um, they're going to have all these open holes. Swift's problems are going to get mitigated. He's going to be the dude. Sunday morning, Penny's in an active, and I'm feeling myself. I'm like, thank God, I like used to be so stubborn. I used to be stuck in my ways, but now I'm I'm Bayesian. I'm shifting. We got on Swift at the right time. It's gonna be a great season. I got him on all these managed teams, and uh, then he scored like two fantasy points. It was a total backup, and I was like, <laughs> I cannot believe this. Like, I could have been trolling Drew so hard right now. I would have been enjoying my <laughs> life, but I can't because I became one of the Swift slappies that I used to hate. Um, but it all came back tonight. Uh, we all got to enjoy rooting for DeAndre Swift um, in unison. He looked, this was the best uh, football game that I've ever seen DeAndre Swift play as a runner. I mean, he didn't really do a whole lot as a receiver in this game. It, they didn't throw a lot, period, in this game. But as a, as a runner, it was not like Mickey Mouse usage. He wasn't getting all the stuff to the outside. They were legitimately running him between the tackles. In fairness, the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line was absolutely mauling people. So he was definitely running on easy mode. But that's part of the appeal. I was going to say, to be clear, he is allegedly going to play for the Eagles again. Right. Maybe even the rest of the season with that offensive. That's, I mean, that's part of the appeal, right? Is you, is like, what's his weakness? Well, it's like, he's, you know, he struggles a little bit in decision-making physicality, but you end up in this run scheme where Hertz is doing a lot of the reading um, on a lot of these zone read carries. And it's kind of point and shoot. And we've seen Miles Sanders, I think has some of the same deficiencies, have a lot of efficiency in this offense. And Swift did it. And he, I thought he was great. Like I never, I can't remember very many carries that he looked indecisive or that he bounced things outside unnecessarily. I thought his best carry the whole game actually got called back by a holding penalty, but there was a linebacker who came in unblocked. First of all, he didn't run right into him. Second of all, instead of immediately bouncing to the outside and giving the defenders a chance to rally, he actually pressed up into the line where he got close to him and then he jukes him out where the defender doesn't have a chance to actually go and rally. He ends up popping that around the edge. It would have been a 15, 20 yard gain. If not for the holding penalty, that was an incredible run. And then he makes a really nice cut on his 43 yard run that sets up his touchdown where he runs inside is a one-on-one with a linebacker or absolutely erases his angle, guts out to the outside immediately and, and wins a foot race. He looked explosive. He looked fast. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a totally, totally fantastic performance Obviously comes with the caveat that is of Kenny Gainwell out, but like I just can't imagine how a coach could see what Gainwell's provided and what Swift has provided and then use Gainwell the way they used him in week one. Like he probably has a bigger role than Boston Scott played tonight, but I, I don't think he's gonna have a substantial role. Yeah, I don't pretend to know what the coaches are gonna do most of the time. But uh, I did just say that the coach obviously chose to start 
Kenneth Gainwell, because if not, he would have given away a veteran spot and there would have been a mutiny. Now I am firmly in narrative town and believing that after the Philadelphia Eagles saw DeAndre Swift do what he did, there will be a mutiny if he is not the starting running back going forward. And therefore, I'm just making things up. But I do think that, uh, like, the, the argument with Swift was that he was always good. And, uh, I mean, he's not a perfect running back. Most guys aren't. But he does some things exceptionally well, like catch passes, which he did not do tonight, which in part is because the Eagles didn't really pass the football. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, that kind of brings me to the next point. Are the Eagles ever going to pass the freaking football? Yeah, it was just – I mean, the Eagles are, I think, a smart team that will just do what the defense dictates that they do, right? I mean, we saw this last year. They, they would swing wildly from game to game. They'd get in a certain matchup where it was a good run defense and the pass game was open and they would just throw repeatedly. Like I remember the Steelers game and the Titans game were examples of that where they played these pass funnel defenses and they completely just passed on them all day. And similarly, they'll get in spots where – if the team isn't stopping the run, they'll just keep running. I mean, they came out actually pretty pass first in this game. Um, I believe their first drive, they had seven dropbacks. Um, might have been six with one Hurts design run um, and only just the one carry for Swift. First three drives, really, they were passing it a lot. They weren't having success. And then they just they had one drive in the second quarter where they just went Swift, 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 Swift. He got tired. Scott, 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 Scott. And like the Vikings weren't stopping it. So pretty much the whole second half, they're playing from ahead and they were able to just pick up five, six yards per carry uh, regardless. And yeah, they're going to lean into that. So I, th- I think that's always going to be the risk with the Eagles. You're going to have games like this, but you're still going to have games, I think, where they pass it quite aggressively. It's just it, it just depends on sort of what's available to them, I think. So they play two games so far. One game is 33 pass attempts. One game is 23. That's an average of 28. That is really, 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 really bad. Played approaching positive game script, like aggressively positive game script in both of those. And then my question is, are they ever going to not be an aggressive positive game script? They're a pretty good team. And they play I think not so this year. I think their schedule, I mean, I think that they will a little bit this year. They're, they're clearly going to win a lot of games. But uh, I, I, I think that you're, you're going to see some level of regression on them. I mean, I think their defense has already shown some regression. Uh, this was a top five defense last year. Uh, the Vikings moved the ball at will they score 28 points in this game and that's with justin jefferson having a fumble through the stupid end zone touchback rule where if he keeps the ball in his hand for one more inch then that's you know another touchdown for the vikings they'd be at 35 um mac jones and the patriots who have like probably one of the worst sets of weapons in the whole nfl they were moving the ball pretty easily we'll see it's just not going to happen for a while because their upcoming schedule is box commanders rams and then Used to the Jets used to be one of those spots you might see them playing from behind, probably not anymore. <laughs> but then keep keep an eye out this middle stretch of their schedule: Dolphins, Commanders, Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, Niners, Cowboys, Seahawks. That's where all the fun's going to happen, right there. All right. So I guess where I'm going with all this, you I'm sure you can probably already guess because we argued about it 15, seven times last season in 16 weeks, 17 weeks. What are you doing with Devonta Smith and AJ Brown at their prices? Any yeah, change? Just, no, I mean last year I loved them going into the season, but they were cheaper last year, like by a lot yeah. than they were going into this year. <laughs> so um, this year I was not very in on them at their prices um, because I think we, 
I think we pretty much saw the apex of what we were hoping to see last year, which was they transitioned from a run-heavy team to a more neutral team, although wind up leaning run-heavy because of the positive script, but they were pretty middle-of-the-road in terms of password over expectation last year. And you see this massive ascension from Hertz. Um, and then you see Goddard miss half the season. So pretty much everything you want for Hertz and uh, for Brown and Smith. Uh, and it was a really good season for them, but not really that like elite difference-making season. So tougher sell for me this year. Yeah, I'm probably continuing to, to not uh, want to make them focal points. If you have them on your roster, like I'm not like rushing to sell them because there's worse things than having really good players who aren't overly old. But um, yeah, I don't think that they're like a particularly efficient store of value. I, I would definitely rather have players that I think project to score more points or more scarce positions, um, or you get a player that will produce somewhat similarly and backfill that spot with a pick. Like it's it's definitely been more sells than buys. Yeah, for sure. This has been my stance for AJ Brown. Basically, I was in on him as a rookie year, and then after that, he got really expensive, and then after they got even more expensive. And then he got traded to the Eagles and then he came down a little bit and I was like, Oh, this isn't too bad. And then he got off to a hot start last year. And I was like, you guys are getting crazy again. And it's just been mostly out on AJ Brown, even though I think he's legitimately one of the best football players on the planet. And that's, it's, it's just disappointing. I just wish that everyone would look at the pass volume and c- conclude the same thing that they're just not going to win you your league. They're really good players. And we should strive to have really good players when they are efficiently priced. And they're just inefficiently priced. Is what the I mean, is. I think that there is something to be said for safety at the top of your draft. Like, we know that once when you get into non-rookie player assets, that you're, you're more likely than not, on aggregate, every single non-rookie uh, is, is losing value year over year. So I think there is something to be said for guys who are just really good at football and are fairly young and play receiver where like, if you have AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, like I think they're a pretty low risk asset in that we have, I think a lot of information that suggests they're really good. It would be very shocking if they just became not good all of a sudden. Um, And you know, there's ways that things can be terrible for them in the chaos of a season, right? Anybody can get injured. There can be a, quarter you know Jalen Hurts can get injured they can get stuck playing Marcus Mariota all that stuff can happen in the course of the season they probably just pop right back to where they were value-wise in the offseason it's not the end of the world um so I think there's something to be said for that versus like some of the bets that we have in that range that are a lot more uh volatile but yeah it's still hard for me to to conclude that they're like the most efficient store of value we're we're probably not buying the volatile guys in that range anyway like those are going to be the guys that are probably like they're they're risky, and yeah. I'm just really never going to be buying into risky guys in that range. It's either going to be young players like like rookies or sophomores, and or like guys like them, and then the yeah. other guys I'm just never interested in. So I see what you're yeah, saying. I mean, I still think I still think like a, same thing I've been saying with both these guys for a while, which is just like pivot to, you know, well now probably Garrett Wilson might even join this group. Um, yeah. But like I would still just pivot to Alave plus Wilson plus London plus. You're probably not getting Alave plus for Smith, but I would just rather have Alave. Um, yeah. And and you know you can get you can probably almost certainly get Alave plus for Brown. Maybe not after week one, but you've been able to get that pretty comfortably all off season. And to me, that's that's a clear win where you're getting three years younger, 
and a player that I think projects largely similarly. Yeah, at worst. Like, I, I think, like, for me, Chris Olave is basically A.J. Brown from a fantasy football perspective. I think A.J. Brown maybe is a better player, or at least we have more confidence that he's a really good player. Olave is still slightly risky from that perspective, but Olave may not be capped by Justin, uh, or not Justin yeah. Fields, Jalen Hurts. I think. And that's attractive. So I would rather have I think that. Olave was pretty darn not risky coming off of year one. And I think if you had any lingering question marks after year one, it was mostly target competition related. But like he comes out week one and he absolutely dominates in a super concentrated passing game with a healthy Michael Thomas with Rashid Jaheed looking like he's kind of a guy. Um, yeah, he does. Yeah. So I'm, I feel like, I feel like we don't really need to have any questions about Olave. Like the question to me with Olave is like, is he a top 10 receiver or top five receiver? But it's not like, is he yeah. going to fall off the face of the earth? No, he's not falling off the face of the earth. I, have, yeah. I think through week five last year, we knew he was going to fall off the face right. of the earth. But I don't even think he's going to fall back to being a wide receiver too. Like, I think it's like, is he a low end wide receiver one? Or is this a guy that can push to be that back end first round startup asset? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, yeah, I don't think that yeah. we're in a situation where it's going to be, we're going to be sacrificing much, if anything, on production to go from, Olave to AJ Brown or you know I think Olave has the higher upside right now because he doesn't he's not stuck with Jalen Hurts and Devonta Smith and Dallas Goder and now DeAndre Swift yeah. <laughs> okay so another player played tonight that I think is pretty interesting uh Jordan Addison how are you feeling about him after two weeks really good yeah I mean you're you're getting an efficient player who has come in and played well in his opportunities um we, we, the game just ended when we're recording this, so I don't have like his targets per outrun data or anything like that. It ended like less than an hour ago. Um, but fatally speaking, what we've seen over time is that rookies who flash efficiency early in the season tend to get more volume late in the season. Blair Andrews has done this at Rotoviz. Rookies that are really efficient on their first season tend to get more volume going into year two. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to like get super in the weeds about, oh man, he's running less routes than KJ Osborne. Or his target share is actually that high. Like the most important thing for me from a rookie early on, at least until they get steamed in price to oblivion, is just like they look like they're a good football player. And through two weeks, Jordan Addison is answering that affirmatively. He's had uh get kind of a nothing touchdown in week one, honestly. Like he won the route and then he was wide open. This one was was even more impressive. He won the route pretty convincingly on a deep post. He makes a fairly contested catch kind of jukes a guy to get into the end zone. It was a nice play. Um, that's the kind of play that's going to earn him more work than KJ Osborne moving forward. And this Vikings team is just awesome for fantasy value. Like I get that Justin Jefferson is there and that's a roadblock, but even with Justin Jefferson taking 30% of the targets, they passed the ball so much. They had the second highest pass rate in the league last year. They were plus 10% pass rate over expectation in week one. And they only had eight rush attempts in week two. So this is a team that is pedal to the metal, all gas, no break at all times. And their defense is not very good. So this is a team that could easily average like 40 pass attempts per game this year. So even if you siphon off 12 of those for Justin Jefferson targets, you still have all of the Eagles passing game available to Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson. <laughs> so I think that you can... I would just... I, I just have to say, you brought up a couple points, or you, you made a couple points that I feel like brought up further points. And the first sure. of which is that they only had eight rush attempts. That might be because Alexander Madison is their starting running back. He's not very good. We knew he wasn't very good. 
he continued to not be very good. I think he's in serious danger of losing his role. And I, I'm panicking mm-hmm. on Alexander Madison to some degree. And if if he doesn't yeah. lose his role, I just don't think he's good. So it just doesn't matter. I'm I'm there. So I watched um I actually kinda had to update because I was I came away like I wrote I'm writing my Hitchhiker's Guide in two parts, especially for week one, because I wanted to rewatch every touch before I wrote about the running backs because the small sample data is just like egregiously unreliable after a one-week sample. Um, so I wanted to give a little bit more eye test. I went into the Tampa-Minnesota game where I was like, oh, man, here are these two running backs I hate, and they both had really <laughs> shitty box scores, and I'm really excited to have my priors confirmed. Like, that was my attitude going into the game. I'll just be up front. Um, I called it the running backs don't matter bowl. Um, Love it. And I watched Rashad White, and I was like, yep, my priors confirmed. This guy sucks. Um, and then uh, I watched Madison, and I was like, he was fine. Like, I thought in week one, he, he, he was totally fine. His, his receiving touchdown was pretty impressive. He actually shook a guy, made it into the end zone. He like doesn't have any sort of creativity or skill at an NFL level or explosiveness where he's going to like be able to make plays. Okay, I said that in a more mean way than I intended it. Yeah. It's just, just like, okay. Just watch for Kareem Hunt, is all I'm saying. Okay, you watch, some of, the, you watch some of the plays that DeAndre Swift made today where he's like, juking guys out of their shorts, making guys miss. He's into the second level and he's able to get further because he has legitimate NFL athletic ability, right? I I made a comparison to the runs that we saw from Travis Etienne and Ken Walker in week one, where they were had nothing at the line of scrimmage. They were totally stoned, but they are fast and they're creative and skilled. And so they're able to turn it back outside, cut up the field, get an additional 20 yards. Etienne winds up. That's like his game ceiling touchdown run. Madison is just never making that run. He's too fucking slow. He does not have the that level of skill. But you look at what the Vikings are. It's like they don't really – they deprioritize their running back to such an egregious level. Like, first of all, they pass the ball at one of the highest rates in the league. Second of all, they check down to running backs at one of the lowest rates in the league. And then third of all, they use their fullback to run routes instead of the running back on some passing down. CJ Ham ran 12 routes. So like the tailback position just isn't important to the offense. And you kind of get why they're okay having Alexander Madison be it. And I don't think Ty Chandler is anything. I don't think Gaskin's anything. Like I think Madison is is like okay enough that he's probably safe. It's just that this role isn't valuable. Like it's there's just not a lot of fantasy points available to the running back position, period. And he's generally going to score under expectation because he's just not an efficient player so i, I think you're gonna i think i think madison is probably the viking starting running back for the rest of the year frankly by default but if they do decide to bring in anyone it could be lights out for him if they just decide we're gonna try ty chandler because how much worse could it be i don't blame them um and most likely scenario is he's gonna be the starter all year and be like the rb22 all right fair enough I agree. He is bad. And all you need to do to be the RB22 is literally not go on IR. <laughs> like, that's it. Just exist. You just got to exist and you'll get there. Right. Um, the other point that I wanted to make that you you had alluded to that I think uh, may have gone under the radar for some of the listeners was uh, you had made the case that the Vikings actually have a bad defense. And what I want to point out is that you are just being swayed because they just had to face DeAndre Swift. So, of course, they look bad. They're obviously not bad. DeAndre Swift is just that good. Have you considered that? 
Yeah, it's actually, it was pretty funny. Like, I saw some people saying that the Vikings had a good run defense based on their week one performance. And, like, I, I was busy at work today, so I couldn't get angry about it on Twitter. Um, but I laughed internally because, like, they just had the privilege of playing Rashad White and the Bucks O-line, which was, like, <laughs> it's like they're just, I mean, they're going to average two yards per carry all year. You're, yeah. whoever's, whoever, whoever's, whoever, like, whatever, when you go into Yahoo and you see like the little green or the little red beside like your opponent rank, like yeah. every time the Bucks come through, the next week that defense is getting a little upgrade up the running back defense <laughs> rankings. That's that's my stance. Fair enough. All right, he, well, we are. He was that was the least impressive running back performance of the week for me. The, the broadcast said that he bulked up to two twenty five, which I, I don't like. I, I don't like when running backs who are already of sufficient size, like add a bunch more weight. Well, Ronald um, Jones added weight and then he was good. Yeah. And well, where's he, where's he at these or, days? Or was he, was he good? I can't remember. <laughs> like he, 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 the he, whole appeal. Actually, you know what? He did the Alexander Madison thing. He was healthy for yeah, a whole year <laughs> and, and finished as like RB 20 and people were like, ah, we yeah. got an RB two season. Like literally the qualification is don't die. That's the only qualification. Yeah. He just uh, like, to me, the appeal of Rashad White, if there was any appeal, was like size, speed, pass catching, because he's just not refined um, and he's not elusive. But he looks slow. Like, I thought that the weight probably made an impact. I caught that in the broadcast. I thought it was immediately a red flag. And he was getting caught from behind. He was dancing around the line of scrimmage like a lunatic. You didn't have any momentum. He was just constantly getting cut off at the legs. The broadcast was almost begging for Sean Tucker at one point. Like, there was one point where they just couldn't run the ball. And they were like, Someone needs to step up. I'm not sure if it's white. Maybe it's Tucker. <laughs> and it was like, it was crazy to me that like an NFL broadcast would be like, maybe they got to just feed this UDFA. And then the other right. signal to me that was really interesting. Sean Tucker only runs five routes. Rashad White runs 21. So he's the clear receiving back. But Tucker's first series, they immediately call a screen pass for him, which was pretty telling to me. Because like that's not as much of a receiving thing. It's more like a weak explosive play in this offense thing. And the fact that they choose that for one of Tucker's snaps is pretty darn telling to me when when that's just simply a choice that you're making. It's like we can call the screen pass with anybody, but we're calling it with Sean Tucker. Um I, I think he I think that I don't think Madison's safe, but I think that Rashad White is the first starting running back to not be a starting running back in short order this season. The first to go. Uh, I didn't. Yeah. Actually, I don't actually remember off the top of my head now. Did he get a lot of passes? No. Two. Two. Fascinating. Fascinating. All right. Well, yeah. R.I.P. for Rashad White, and I hope you didn't draft him, and certainly neither of us told you to. So uh, I regret nothing, and I apologize to absolutely nobody. And moving along, so we just had week one. This is actually, we were supposed to record last night. My internet had a problem. Yeah. I had to call the repairman. It cost me $700 to fix. I'm livid about it. Nevertheless, here we are. And now we're going to go back to talking about week one. How do you, like, just overarching, not, not like any specific players, just like overarching, you are a fantasy analyst. You are looking at week one. How are you reacting to it? Or what are you doing? What, what is it that you do here? I think that the... Most important thing to remember with week one is to not always assume that 
things are linear. And to remember that like when we look at anything that happened from week one, I think it's important to ask yourself, how would I feel if this happened in week 11 and for the first 10 weeks of the season, it went roughly how it's expected for this player. And, you know, generally, I think that could help inform you, right? Kendrick Bourne has a massive game in week one. We probably shouldn't care, right? Like, if, if that's that's something where, like, it's going to take a lot from Kendrick Bourne to disprove what we think of Kendrick Bourne at this point. But, you know, it's relative to the sample. A rookie comes out and does something massive in week one. We're going to talk about two of them who are really impressive. I think that should, you know, flip your scale quite a bit more. It's important to just kind of think of all the different stories that the season could possibly tell about that player and how that week one fits in and then what you think is more likely. Is this the story of how this guy became a breakout star? Is this the story of how this guy was a massive bust? Is this the story of how he had one random good week in midst of several other good weeks or bad weeks or whatever else. And it just happened to come first because sometimes things just happen to come first, or they happen to come last and it doesn't always mean everything. Um, I mean, we'll talk about it with, when we get into cam acres, but I thought that was an example of this off season where everybody needs to have an explanation for everything. And with acres, it was kind of easy because there was a very plausible explanation of the Achilles. And it was like, what if, he just finally pieced it together, right? What if the acres we saw in the last month is the only acres? And to me, it's a balancing act. That's one possible explanation. The other possible explanation is that he's just been a mostly mediocre, injured timeshare running back who happened to have a really hot stretch and it happened to be the last thing that we saw. And which of those we should act in probably just depends on what the cost is, right? And that's ultimately what I've come down to for everything from week one is like, Whatever the most optimistic scenario is or pessimistic scenario is for someone who really surprised you in week one, how is the market reacting to that? And if the market thinks that it's very likely to be the true scenario, probably going to be on the other side of it. And if the market isn't really buying into it, then I'm probably willing to buy into it a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I It's similar to how I do it. Um, I'm pretty much like confirming priors in week one, one way or the other. Uh and just ignoring what doesn't go to plan. So, like, we're going to talk about them later, but, like, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and, like, a 15-pass offense, I'm like, I don't care. They're good players. It's going to happen. T. Higgins getting zero catches on seven targets or whatever. I'm like, I don't care. Joe Burrow throwing for 82 yards or whatever it was. I'm like, I don't care. None of this stuff matters to me. What I'm looking for is the players that I don't have a strong – what's the word? I have a strong prior on. So I'm like, ah, I wanted to see how this guy did. Cause I didn't really know. I didn't really have a strong take either way. Yeah. And Oh, look at what he did. Well, that's interesting. And nobody seems to care. That's even more interesting. Maybe I will go after that guy or, you know, the reverse where, Oh, look what he did. Oh, everybody really cares about that. I don't care about it nearly that much. I'm hard passing on that one. If I got him, I'll sell him. And it's, it's like I said, it's really the, the high and low end where I'm pretty locked in, nothing changes. I don't care if they put up 300 yards or they went for, I don't know what Brandon Ayuk did, but people seem to be real fired up about that. I'm like, ah, yeah, 8, 8, 129 and 2. I'm like, that's a totally normal outcome for Brandon Ayuk. There's nothing that changes my opinion here. I'm really happy right. for him. Don't care. It, yeah, that's it, a great, that's a great example, right? Where it's like, we already know that the 49ers, like what we 
what we've already seen coming in the 49ers that anyone could have told you at the end of August was like, it's an offense with four really explosive and efficient pass game weapons. And in any given week, one of them can be at the top of their position group. And that like, and, and that can be a different guy every single week, but that every guy is live to do that every single week. And so then you have to ask yourself coming off week one, like, you know, if this was the if this performance came in week 14 of last year, everyone would have been like, wow, great week for Brandon Ayuk. And like nobody would have really changed their long-term outlook on Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Whereas because it happens in week one, you know, you have to ask yourself, is this telling us that this is a new 49ers offense and that it's going to be Ayuk every week? Or is it just like we literally, we literally know any of them are capable of being the guy? And we know in any given week someone kind of has to be the guy. And so this week Ayuk is the guy. Yeah. And maybe now he's always going to be the guy, or is it just that all the things that we already knew were true are true? And again, it depends on the cost. Like, yeah, I'm putting my Brandon Ayuk's on the trade block. And if anyone wants to, what would I sell for what I would have sold for like the previous week? No, I probably want a little bit extra. He just had a 36 fantasy yeah. points. Throw me an um, extra two on top. Yeah. But if someone's like, no, Brandon Ayuk is the dude. I'm moving up an entire tier off this game. I'm sending you, you know, first and two seconds. It's like, yeah, okay. Like we'll, we'll move off Ayuk for that. And, and, you know, if I'm, if I'm wrong and he is the guy, we're, we're insulated a little bit on that. We're, we're fine if we sell him for that. Uh, and you know, if, and then if we're right, we'll probably be able to buy back later at a better price someday. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's like I said, that's kind of what I'm looking at is what are my priors? Are they strongly held? <laughs> if yeah. they're strongly held, then nothing matters. If they're weakly held or I'm just like, in the middle, like I don't really know about this player. I don't have a strong read on the situation. I'll I'll see what happens and go from there. Then I'm more willing to adjust. Um, For sure. And we're going to talk about some of those guys as well, where it was like, man, I don't know, but you know, I, I like what happened, <laughs> or I don't know, <laughs> but I sure don't like what happened. So yeah, without further ado, unless you have further ado, no, do you have any no further, further, further ado for me. Without further ado, I got we'll nothing go to do. Week one's biggest surprises, and I'll go first because you've gone first in the past, and it's yeah. my turn to go first. Very and I'm going to talk about thing. your favorite player, and therefore, I'm a monster because I took this off the table. I to the to the listeners of the podcast, I just want you to know that I did up the show sheet, and then I answered all the questions first, so that Jacob didn't get to pick first any times. True. So. He got all the leftovers. So number one topic is week one's biggest surprises. I went with Anthony Richardson, player I have rallied against for months on Twitter, in the Discord, everywhere. My argument wasn't that he cannot be good at football. It's that he's really freaking expensive, so he better be good at football. And I'd rather just bet on someone that I already know is good at football at those prices. Like really good at football, because that's where he's being drafted. Anyways, I kind of thought... Anthony Richardson might be the worst quarterback we've seen get drafted in the first round ever from passing perspective. I thought we might have a week one in which case it might have been better for Anthony Richardson to just simply spike the ball than try to throw it to a receiver. That didn't happen. He was like, uh, I, I'm not going to say good because he definitely wasn't good. Let's not get carried away. He was not a good NFL quarterback, but he was a bad NFL quarterback. And that's a notch above what I expected. I thought he would be like a, like a janitor. Like I didn't think that he would be able to complete a pass and he like completed quite a few. They were in and around the line of scrimmage. Like he only had a, uh, I just did the rookie report. I don't have it in front of me for the patrons. Yeah, and the no score, way, by the way, way, sign up for patreon.com forward slash bulletproof FF to get all of the stuff. But uh, 
I just did the rookie report for Anthony Richardson. His ADOT, I think, was around three or four, which that is sounds about really right. embarrassingly bad. But he completed a lot of passes. They let him pass a lot. That was one of the biggest things that I was excited about. Uh, I don't know if, if you're a long-time listener to the podcast. You may remember last year around this time, or maybe it was a little bit later into the season, but around, it was fairly early. Jacob and I were talking about Justin Fields and what the Bears need to do to develop Justin Fields and how they have betrayed every Bears fan in the history of the world. They're betraying buried grandparents, great-grandparents, you know, like six generations ago, parents of Bears fandom have been betrayed. And it was unfair because Justin Fields obviously was not a very good passer. And then they took that and said, hey, you know what? We're not going to win football games if Justin Fields passes, so let's not let him pass, which is completely contrary to what their goal should be, which is develop Justin Fields. The Colts went out and they said, we're probably not going to win games. We're okay with that. Anthony Richardson passed the football. And they let him pass 37 times in the first game. And do you know how many times the Bears – I'm going to ask you because I don't know if you saw my my uh, my thread earlier. Do you know how many times the Chicago Bears asked Justin Fields to pass 37 times in a game last year? That must have been like zero. It was literally zero. Do you know how many times they asked yeah. him to pass 36? Uh, probably zero. Also zero, 35? Zero? Still zero. 34, 33, 32, 31, 29? 29's got to be like three or four. No, it's freaking zero. They asked him to pass what? 28 times. This is game high pass what? attempts last year. So what? The Colts are doing 28 was his, right. was his highest? Yes. Oh my god, the oh, audio listeners must have just maybe. gotten absolutely destroyed by my going what into the mic, but that like, actually <laughs> stunned me if that's true. Here, let me let me let me find it. I just put it up. I'm quite certain it was uh zero at twenty-eight. What <laughs> it, it was like the most shocking thing I've seen. Uh Justin Fields topped out of 28 pass attempts in a 35-32 loss to the Dolphins in week nine. That was his career. I don't know if it was his career high. I didn't look at his rookie year. I presume it was his career high pass attempts. So in week one, the Colts went out and actually let Anthony Richardson, th- Richardson throw the football, which I think is like the best thing that could have possibly happened to Anthony Richardson's potential future. I'm I'm mystified that the Indianapolis Colts are the organization that was able to figure this out. I I am <laughs> I'm beside myself with shock. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm awed. I'm all of it. I'm really excited for Anthony Richardson. I'm not buying Anthony Richardson. Don't get me wrong. That was not a good performance, but it was, it was like an acceptable rookie performance, which is like a really good step in the right direction for Anthony Richardson. I'm holding, though, which is a huge difference. I'm holding right now. I believe there is hope. So, and then yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be buying, but I'm, I, you are I, buying I'm probably. I'll put it this yeah, I'm gonna send out some feelers. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I'm gonna try it maybe on Saturday. Um I've just got I've like been I've been trying to work at a law office and then I've been recording three podcasts and I've been trying to write like twelve thousand words. So believe it or not, I haven't had a ton of chance to just fire out offers. But um that's my Saturday plan. Um I'm pretty interested in potentially buying. What I would say is more likely is that I've I have enough of a baseline that if he has some really bad games coming up. We'll try and buy maybe at that point because I think yeah. he's going to. You know, it's not linear. Oh yeah. Um, they're they're not always going to ask him to pass three yards down the field. At some point, they're going to ask him to pass right. ten, and that's that's where it's going to be scary. I'm really nervous yeah. for that. But at least they're going to let him pass. And that's it was not game. a perfect. It was not a perfect game from Richardson. Nowhere close. He he had a horrendous interception. 
Um, he threw almost entirely to the right side of the field. Like you mentioned, he was generally throwing short areas. Um, the accuracy issues from college, they showed up at some points. He, he missed some pretty wide open throws. But yeah, the most encouraging thing was that A, they let him pass. B, like everything we talked about in college about his sort of superhero trait is just not taking sacks and being able to create plays and extend plays. Like that was the case. What was most impressive to me is so many times you get these young quarterbacks that especially really young mobile quarterbacks early in their career, they take the snap, their first read isn't open, the next move is is scramble. Especially if, if the pocket starts to collapse on them, it's immediately eyes off the downfield and we're just running. Like Richardson throughout the game was moving around in the pocket, evading tacklers, keeping his eyes downfield and looking to pass. And I thought that was really impressive. I thought he had a lot of poise. Um Probably the best throw of his whole game came in one of those situations on that fourth down. He's scrambling. He's pros out to his right. He has Pittman on a crosser, like across his body over the middle. And he makes just an absolutely ridiculous pass, just bullets it in there to go and convert that fourth down. And then just like the vibes-based analysis for me of just watching him, frankly, just kind of vibe out there. Like he was smiling the whole game. He was interacting with the crowd. He was dancing around. When he made mistakes, like he was usually like taking it in stride. He was smiling. He knew where he was. You know, I, I was watching just shots of him on the sideline, talking with Shane Steichen in between plays. And, like, it just seemed like he had a really good approach. It seemed like Steichen had a really good approach where they were going to enjoy this moment together of their first game as a coach and as a quarterback. And they were going to learn at each moment. And they weren't going to press. And, yeah, it was exciting to see them go out and pass the ball, right? It's, it's a whole philosophy thing of, like, a team that's willing to learn and willing to make mistakes versus a, a team that's trying to – avoid the possibility of him making mistakes. And, and I think that that's really encouraging for his development, right? You want to put up, you want your quarterback to feel confident and relaxed and like he has the opportunity to make mistakes. Um, and it was cool to see that they were willing to do that. Um, really it, as a Colts fan, like it left me really optimistic about Richardson. It left me even more optimistic about Steichen. Like I, I'm, I feel like we clearly have like the coach that we should have to lead this young team into the future. I really hope that we can get Jonathan Taylor at some point because Deion Jackson turned 18 touches into 28 yards and two fumbles. Dude's it was sad. like, it was egregious. So, uh, but otherwise, yeah, good times in Coltsland. And the real takeaway is by Michael Pittman because yeah. like we thought he was going to be in, in DJ Moreland where it was like, great, Michael, you earned a 24% target share. What did that get you? Nine fantasy points today. Um, but he's gonna real he, offense. He still could be like it's early. That like, could still happen. But I, it, it's, it's trending not to happen, and that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, like my, I don't know if you, uh, you probably didn't read it all because it was quite lengthy. But I did like a, I did a week one knee jerk reactions on Monday. Yeah, I, actually, of, I read every single one of them. Oh yeah, I, I did tell you to read every single word in it, so that makes sense. It was okay. like, I swear, I don't know. It's the longest thing I've ever written. There was like thousands of messages in it and uh anyway touch on every fantasy relevant football player in the nfl uh with a week one reaction and yeah my takeaway was i was like hey you know what we're gonna talk about anthony richardson on thursday when i do the rookie report so we talked about him today but it was mostly like for the colts it was like by michael Pittman, we're getting the thing where the quarterback is like really really expensive and they might be good but they might not be good and i'd rather just make the bet on the wide receiver that it might work out. Michael Pittman was this year, one of this year's candidates. Clearly it looks like it's going to at least be may not work out, but it should be positive at the very least. 
And then also buy Jelani Woods. The dude is free. He's on IR. Put him on your IR. It's absolutely going to cost you nothing because you don't have a full IR yet. Do not tell me you have a full IR. We're in week one. Your <laughs> IR is not full. Get him on your squad. Put him on your IR. When he gets back, Anthony Richardson might be like kind of okay maybe at some point. And Jelani Woods is free and he's a monster. So just go for it. It's fine. By the week, yeah. Jelani Woods. All I think I kind of want to buy Jonathan Taylor too. I kind of want to buy Jonathan Taylor too. That's a good point. Jonathan Taylor. I just kind of want to buy it. Like cut everyone in this offense. Like, okay, well, co- co- slow down. We do, we're not buying Alec Pierce. Stop it. Okay, we're not buying Alec Pierce. But Josh Downs got seven targets in his first NFL game. That was freaking great. Like, good job, Josh Downs. Yeah, so we're buying, I think I want to buy everyone except for Alec Pierce and Deion Jackson. Okay, okay, I'm in. Yeah, and Evan Hall you should buy. I think he's hurt now. Yeah. He's on IR. Well, he's on get IR. Evan Hall yeah. on your IR spot. He's free and Frankly, he's on IR. You know who's going to get a lot of touches this week? Zach Moss. <laughs> because Deion Jackson was the worst running back I've ever seen. You know, I think I saw something saying in the preseason, actually, they were expecting Zach Moss to be the running back one, and then he was hurt or something. Well, and he got hurt. Jackson yeah, he got hurt. He missed the first game. He probably would have started. And my take was like, it's not Zach Moss, guys. Like, come on, it'll be one of the two young guys. And then one of the young guys got hurt, and one of the young guys turned in an all-timer of a dud. And yeah, it's going to be Zach Moss. Giddy up. Yeah. Embrace it. So yeah, that's Anthony Richardson. That's number one on our week one's biggest surprise. That's, that's the game that's going to be the most fun to watch in week two. The battle of the rookie quarterbacks. Richardson and CJ Stroud, and both their teams are willing to sling it. That's going to be a really fun game to watch. That's going to be fun. Yeah. All right. So who uh, who do you got for a big surprise? Yeah, um, my big surprise, of course, has to be the Rams. Specifically, I mean, really everything about the Rams. Yeah, ev- literally everything about the Rams, except that Van Jefferson still sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the least surprising development of the week: Van Jefferson decidedly not the wide receiver after Cooper Cup was down. I'm stealing this take from uh, the great Ben Gretsch, but I, I too, am like kind of upset that when Cup went out. Like everybody else bumped up Higby and Van Jefferson, who are like known bad players. <clears throat> and I should have just been like, like, I should have just been like, well, it's not them. So it's either nobody or it's one of these two young guys, like Puka or Tutu. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't nearly as aggressive with that as I should have been. Like to me, it was just when Cop went out, I was like, ah, the whole offense is going to suck. Um, and uh, yeah, I should have probably kept hope alive a little bit more. I it's did hard. think that the it's offense was like, going to suck. It is one of the least predictable outcomes ever in the history of fantasy football or football in general. Well, but maybe it's round, but maybe it's not Puka, round five. He was round five. Okay, but here maybe it's not like yes. Okay, the specific of the Puka thing, very unpredictable. And Tutu Atwell but, did literally nothing last year. Like there was no reason yes. to hope for him. Sure, but what I would say is like oh, a little bit less unpredictable. Is just like Matthew Stafford has been a very good quarterback for a very long time who was hurt last year and was bad. So the idea that healthy Matthew Stafford could just come back and be good is not that crazy. And the idea that him with Sean McVay, who's a really good play caller and has been for his entire time would be able to form a functional offense like that. That actually is something like we probably should have been willing to bet on a little bit. Um, And I kind of regret not being more aggressive about that. Puka Nakua though, 15 targets is the most ever by a rookie in an NFL uh, in his first NFL game. Um, and so I guess that begs the question, 
he's the best wide receiver of all time through one game. So is he the best wide receiver of all time? He is obviously the best wide receiver of all time. There's no debate. You make a great point. I can't even uh I've I've no I've no light to stand on to dispute that. Okay, I have two takes on Puka Nakua. One is the bad uh one is the bear case, and one's the bull case. And you can tell me which one you think is more compelling. Okay. Hit me. Okay. Here's the here's the bull case. This is once again stealing from Ben Gretsch's article. Admittedly, I just like did not do enough work on Puka as a prospect, because I'll just be straight up, like unless someone like puts data in front of me that tells me that a day three wide receiver is more interesting than a typical day three wide receiver. I tend to just ignore them, um, which is probably a leak on my part, but uh, day three wide receivers are already such a low hit ratio. And usually we get a lot of information on them ahead of time. Um, Guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, kind of a different story where it's like a guy that we were all hoping would go uh, early and then doesn't versus Puka is a guy that a lot of people I don't think had even ever heard of. Um, Certainly some people in the film community were all over it. But transfer away from Washington, goes to BYU, ran very few routes, was never a full-time player in college, which to be clear is bad. But interestingly, had over a uh, two and a half yards per route run and over a 30% targets per route run throughout his college career. That's pretty impressive target earning ability, which is at least something. Um, it's a lot more than most really terrible uh, college wide receiver prospects have to offer. So that certainly is pretty encouraging. The bear case on Puka is Puka, as I just said, most targets uh, ever in a rookie's first game since 1992, which is when targets became a stat. It's from Scott Barrett. There are six other players who had 13 or more targets in their first NFL career game. That's Anquan Bolden, Antonio Bryant, Kembrell Tompkins, Sean McDonald, Rashad Green, and Des Bryant which is three round one or round two picks, three round three or later picks, and the three round three or later picks literally did absolutely nothing of note in their NFL career despite seeing 13-plus targets in their first NFL game. So you would think that 15 targets in your first NFL game is extremely predictive given everything we know about rookie breakouts, but uh, it is entirely possible that Puka Nakua winds up joining the ranks of Kembrell Tompkins, Sean McDonald, and Rashad Green as uh, their best First, their first game ever was by an absolute mile the best game ever. Yeah, I I will push back rather uh, forcefully on the Puka Nakua had an interesting profile. I mean, sure, he had an interesting profile if he was a day two pick, but we see tons of players that look a lot like Puka Nakua on day three, and they all suck. So I don't think there's a lot of excitement there however most of those guys don't go to put up 15 targets in the first game so you combine the good bad profile or good ish it wasn't great it wasn't a great profile it was, it was interesting no it's a bad profile it's just it's a bad profile that had like a something you can kind of tell yourself a story on yeah you can tell yourself a story on it it's like at a base rate level it's it's a terrible profile but it is yeah. like an interesting profile now knowing that he had 15 targets in week one now right. i'm like oh Actually, you know what? Maybe there was something here. But uh, like from a evaluating rookies perspective, I don't think there was anything there that any of us should be no, beating ourselves I don't think up it over. Was like a high percentage bat or anything, obviously. Not. No, and like in fact, it's a very, very low percentage bat. But again, you don't stack like okay rookie profile, even though day three with 15 targets very often. 
So I think I think it's interesting. I saw that Scott Bear tweet, and I was very concerned about it, uh, as I normally am when we have day three prospects. And I decided to throw caution to the wind because I don't know. I don't have a good reason. I'm just throwing caution to the wind. So what? Well, so I threw caution. To, so I threw caution to the wind, like in the sense that in my high stakes managed leagues where he was on waivers, I was like, fuck it. I'm bidding 80% of my fab. Cause why not? Yeah. You never even know what you're going to get. Right. You never know. Sure. You, there might never be another good player on waivers the entire rest of the year. So who gives a shit? Let's just see what happens in dynasty. You have far more legitimate consequences <laughs> to your actions. Yeah. So cool. where, where's the breaking point for you? I obviously we're not paying a first round pick for him. And obviously we would pay a third round pick for him. So where in the second round pick extended universe are we falling? I would pay a second round pick, and normally I wouldn't say this, uh, but it would depend on my team as to how high I would go. Um, if I was like a very strong team and was like a little bit light on wide receiver, and I didn't feel, and I had already like worked the phones, if you will, to try to get another wide receiver, mm. it wasn't happening, then I would consider doing like a mid, certainly a mid. I probably would never do an early second. No, I would never do early because early you're usually getting a fairly core asset. Yeah. Early, you're going to get guys that should have went in the first round that fell to your second round in your draft. You're not going to yeah. always get the same guy, but somebody that should have been gone already will fall to you at some point. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to move a mid, an early second, I don't think. I would move a mid second in a lot of leagues. Uh, I would again, go for a, my team. I would go for a mid because I do find like once you're a player that kind of flashes something when you're a rookie. Like you, you just sort of have that level of magnetism where like, you know, it's kind of what we were talking about with Romeo Dobbs last year, where you get like this two way magnetism on these, these guys that kind of come from nowhere. It's like you, you're, you're like firmly capped where like it would have taken a lot and probably multiple years for Dobbs to ever be. And same with Puka to be like worth more than a first round pick, right? Like yeah. look at what Amon Ra did. And he was still worth like about a first round pick after his rookie year. But you also kind of have this area where like you have enough people that kind of have some priors about you now that it doesn't take that much for someone to then send you a second round pick again. Like Dobbs yeah. is a great example of this is where he was a guy that I was like, yeah, you know what? I probably would just buy a first second round pick and see what happens. And then it didn't work out. I don't think he's very good. He scores two touchdowns this week. I was able to move him for a second round pick now. Right. Jack like it's like, would I rather the liquidity of having a second round pick all along? Sure. But ultimately you kind of get out of it scot-free after a free look. Maybe Puka goes full Fulgum, but I, I do think like it's such a thin wide receiver room that he's going to probably be running routes regardless, even when Cooper Cup comes back. Yeah. And if he can just stay like vaguely interesting, even if he never shows up this, like you could probably still cash out once you have more information. So after seeing some of the stuff in his profile, getting a little bit more interested in him and then thinking about this through a little bit more, I'm caught on your side. I think I would sell any second round pick that I don't think is likely to be in the top three or four. Yeah. And I, I just want to touch on the Travis Fulgham thing. I did, I did a thread on that in the discord as well, because it was something I'd seen a lot of and like Travis Fulgham literally did nothing for 20 games in the NFL before he broke out. So I don't really equate it. I'm like, he couldn't even get on the field period. He had three receptions or three targets. I can't remember in like his entire rookie season. And then four weeks, I think he was a healthy scratch with Philly after he got cut by the Lions or the Packers. Like I remember who he was with first. And then he broke out with uh, with Philly. And it was like 
pretty sketchy and, and and not in the same like in a similar way i guess because it was like everybody else got hurt or sucked so it was it, like maybe he was earning the targets uh but right. also like maybe he wasn't because he didn't even get on the field for 20 games and then uh yeah so with puka and, and like i had never even heard of travis fulgham before he broke out like there was no training camp yeah. hypes there was not nobody was talking about him Puka, we got I got tons of hype in my timeline during training camp. People were loving yeah. Puka. So I feel like he was balling out in training camp. He was okay-ish in college. And then he like erupted in week one. And yeah. Matt Stafford's really good. So like he's not a great fantasy quarterback because he doesn't rush. He's a really good NFL quarterback. So I think it's yeah. totally plausible that him and Cooper Cup just like form a dynamic duo similar to him and Robert Woods, and we just have like a very uh, like maybe he is not a wide receiver two this year, but maybe he's a wide receiver three or flex and gets a bunch of hype, and we can sell him for a first totally. uh, come next off season. Uh, I or, agree. Well, I also think like McVeigh. <laughs> I also think McVeigh's offense is pretty unique, and that like there just does seem to be like a certain skill set. That really works. And Van scheme. Jefferson doesn't have. <laughs> no, well, Van Jefferson's he his skill sets running a bunch of clear out routes and dropping half of them. But good for him. Like it, he, it does seem like if you can run those in breaking intermediate routes, that McVeigh will just spam you. Where it's just backside dig, backside dig, backside dig, backside dig, backside dig, and like you know Harmon when he came out uh, to his credit was like this guy has like a really similar skill set to Robert Woods. He's kind of limited, but he wins in these in-breaking routes. Like, that's exactly what this role is in the McVay offense. And, like, I think he can do this. And so it's like, yeah, I do think there's kind of a world where even if he's not, like, that great, I think McVay is just a really good coach at, like, identifying a few traits in certain players and putting them in the position to succeed and then just kind of spamming those routes over and over again. And I could see a scenario where, where Puka is good enough at this role that he keeps his role and he wins in this role. Like I, I think that um, uh, I think it's a really good spot for him. I think the number one thing that I'm waiting to hear is if he's having lunch with Matt Stafford because I understand breakfast is taken, but lunch is free. Yeah. So um, that's true. We're waiting to. Well, but maybe breakfast is open us. now because Cup has been in Minnesota seeing a specialist for. That's true. So breakfast has been open. We need yeah. boots on the ground in LA to find out what the hell is happening with Stafford's meals, uh, and then we'll know. And then I like another surprise from the same game was Cam Akers and Kyron Williams. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like, I, I can't even like victory lap it because I was pretty low on Cam Akers. But I I even said, I was like, I, when I wrote up that backfield, I was like, yeah, I come out like a little below market on Cam Akers, but I could kind of see it. And then when I wrote about Kyron, it was like, I think Kyron is going to have a larger role. If you read through the tea leaves, I think he's going to play on these passing downs. He'll mix in, but he has no chance of just like being a workhorse back because he's just not built that way. Um, and so Akers' role is like safe unless Zach Evans takes it from him. And then McVeigh was like, um, want to see about that? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this 195 pound guy with no athleticism is totally going to be our Belko back. He wasn't impressive. He was like 15 carries, 52 yards, more impressive than Akers, uh, who had 22 carries for 29 yards. Um, I think that we've seen this before where like, seems like the Rams alternate between either really liking or really hating Cam Akers. 
Um, <laughs> and then when they're in the really hating phase, they'll just put out like a guy who isn't good, but that they think is, I guess, more reliable or just more like flexible. Like we can use him in more situations. And I guess that's Kyron now, but he's still not like, he's just, he just does not have the sufficient athleticism to be a legitimate NFL Belka running back. So to me, if you can get out of him for any second in any year, you absolutely must do it. It's not even as a matter of like, he can't hold this role. Cause frankly, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like maybe he holds this role. It's just, it won't be very valuable with him. Um, we kind of saw with Henderson last year, like he had the role for a while and he was never very startable on fantasy, even when he was running 80% snap shares. We're not going to see two touchdowns very frequently for Kyron. So, I mean, the guy that I would probably bet on really cheaply would be Zach Evans, which is like hard to say because he's a healthy scratch in this game. But if if Akers, if this is actually the time that Akers is no longer in the team's plans, um, then it becomes Zach Evans and Ronnie Rivers and 195 pound guy who runs a four six, and Evans becomes like clearly the only member of that backfield who is like a really interesting fantasy upside bet after Akers. So that's probably where I would end up going. Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent in on selling Cam Akers at this point. I think there's no hope. Sure, he could have another late season run, but I'm not sticking around to find out. Uh, yeah, it was it was not what I expected at all. I did not like. I thought Kyron Williams would play some football, but I certainly didn't think he would oh, yeah. play as much football as he did. And like Kyron Williams ran like a hundred percent of the routes or near. Yes near some of the routes so cam Akers is not an option in the passing game whatsoever but no and, the, no running back is an option in this passing game they literally had a receiver yeah. group of van jefferson puka nakua and tutu atwell and kyron williams had like nearly 100 percent rubber participation and he caught zero balls and he was a yeah. like high level receiving prospect from college that's the one thing i'll give him credit for as a college prospect ever since stafford has been there with mcveigh like they do not throw to running backs ever. <laughs> it just does not happen. So like the rope participation is almost irrelevant on this offense. Yeah. So like I would just sell the entire backfield and, and by Zach Evans, I think you're totally right. Zach Evans is, is intriguing. Yeah. He was a healthy scratch, but he was like a friggin' round six pick. Like that's yeah. not unusual for round six pick to be a week one healthy scratch. Uh, but considering Cam Akers is probably not long for the team and Kyron Williams is probably not good enough and Ronnie Rivers is definitely not good enough, then by process of elimination, there's a chance that Zach Evans gets a shot at some point. Yeah. And I would love to be the one who gets cash out on that. Someone, and or someone's gonna someone's gonna get gets, hurt or yeah. or something's gonna happen. And we just need Evans to get a chance to get on the field. And if he gets on the field, then you know who knows? Maybe he's brutal, but he'll or, we, we just need him to get some sort of shot and, and then you never know where it goes from there because the the options are are not. We we are literally like three weeks away from the one year anniversary of the Cam Makers trade request, so like I would not be shocked if that came up again, uh, and they would probably just cut him at this point because like why wouldn't they? So it, yeah, it, uh, have you ever? Is, can you ever remember anything like this no. where a running back has like? Because it's one thing with Swift, or like we mentioned, Swift's been a roller coaster, but like one pretty necessary part of the roller coaster was his team being like, all right, we're getting off the roller coaster and you're going to a different team. Yeah, but go to a different is just, <laughs> but like Akers has just spent his whole career on the Rams. And it's like, 
there's been times where they've been so committed to him where they're like, we're rushing you back from an Achilles tear to play yeah. 80% of the snaps in a playoff you, game. All the playing time. All of it. And then at other Week times, one? they're like, and then other times they're like, we would literally rather play Malcolm Brown. Yeah. And I just, just and I just, I, I can't, I cannot wrap my head around it. I, I don't get it. And the one thing with Akers that I think is legitimately true is that they've oscillated between sometimes they use him as like a total workhorse back and he runs a bunch of routes and he doesn't actually ever catch the ball in his routes because nobody does on the Rams anyways, but he becomes so much of a better runner in those situations because when he's playing every snap, you don't actually know what they're going to call, but they got into this habit last year and they were doing it again today where they only play acres on the run plays. And it's, it's insane. He had 28 snaps and he got to carry on 22 of them. So every single time he comes into the game, the defense is immediately guessing run and they're getting totally swallowed. So they got to make up their mind on acres. If they think you can play every down, play him every down, you're actually going to get a more productive runner. And if they don't just never play him, but there's no point in doing this goofy thing where they're like, we're going to play one back and be a functional offense. And then we're just going to like donate these carries by bringing in acres, telling the defense what we're going to do. And then he has no chance. It's so stupid. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Sean McVay, boy genius slash idiot. And uh, just he's a smart dude, out. but the stuff he does with Acres is totally inscrutable, and I don't but, understand it. I honestly think that there's like some kind of like psychological, um, I don't know what the bias is, but like where they just think they're, they're just smarter than everyone else. They're like, we're going to do this because Cam Akers is a better runner. Then we'll just run them, but we can't put them out on passing down. So we'll just pass with Kyron Williams instead. And they won't catch on because I'm Sean McVay and they're not smart enough to think ahead like I can. And I don't know, like these ultra smart um, offensive minds, they just seem to also be idiots sometimes. Like Kyle Shanahan, for instance. Like literal boy genius when it comes to like offensive game planning and et cetera. But then like any type of personnel decisions, just complete train wreck. And I just, it's so frustrating. Anyways. The moral of the story. Yeah, it doesn't. And, and I'm not saying this is like an acres truther. Like I'm, I'm really not. Like I don't even really have like that much of an opinion on acres. It's just, it's just so weird that this player is like both at the same time is like so indispensable and completely dispensable to the same human yeah. being. It's really weird. I just wanted yeah, to make it, up his mind. Like, I feel very similar about Cam Akers. Like I really liked him as a rookie. Like loved Cam Akers as a rookie. I was like, oh man, like this offense. Like this is one of the best offenses in football. And he's a pretty good prospect, and this is gonna be great. And then he towards Achilles tendon. I was like, hey, it's over. Like, we're just gonna hold until he comes back, and then we'll sell. And then he came back, then he like played kind of good-ish, I guess, or at least they gave him a bunch yeah. of touches. And I was like, wow, maybe, maybe. Right. And then I've just been kind of like lukewarm ever since, like never all in, but never all out. And now I'm finally all out. And it probably should have been a few years ago, but they've skipped teasing yeah, us. Probably too like late. I mean, stretches of dominance. More too late at this point. I'm thinking. All right. So, scariest performance from week one. Who do you got? Uh for me, I'm staying in that exact game. It's uh, Geno Smith. Uh, I'm certainly not fully admitting the L on the pro Geno propaganda from this offseason yet. One game is far too early to do that. But we're getting worried. Um, <laughs> week one is weird. Division games are even weirder. But the Rams are not a talented defense. 
and they could not move the ball against them. I, I was stunned what happened in the second half when they end up getting blown out in this game. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, JSN, Ken Walker, and continuity in coordinator, and it was just it was just not a functional offense. So definitely concerned about the possibility that Geno turns back into a pumpkin. I don't really have any deeper analysis on it than that. Um, they he passed for 112 yards against the secondary with a bunch of players he can't name. <laughs> yeah, I I saw my my write up on him was was short and sweet. Monitor the situation as things went caps law all caps poorly in week one for Geno. 4.3 yards per attempt with three stud receivers and Noah Fanis pathetic 59.5 passing grade on 112 passing yards. I could not be less thrilled. Sell if you were on the fence. Punt if you were already punting. I want nothing to do with this guy. I'm hard out, and that's my priorities. Where hard out, like I just, I'm I'm never gonna be the guy who buys into the one hit wonder or like the not. It's it's too early to say one hit wonder, but the out of nowhere hit. Like I'll I'll like ride the wagon the rest of the season, but when that season ends, I'm out. Like it's time to move on. There's too much risk here. And I'm terrified for Gino. You're terrified for Gino. I'm I terrified. I did sell. I sold one Gino share already. Um, actually, with a patron, I believe, uh, Bindles. Um, hmm. And it was kind of a. It was like wasn't as much even of like a sell Gino, but it was kind of a happy accident because I kind of wanted to reduce my position. It was I had a team that was pretty thin at running back, and I lost J.K. Dobbins. And he had a team that was pretty thin at quarterback, and he lost Aaron Rodgers. So. Hmm. We were like, all right, we're we're a match made in heaven here. So I sold him. Uh, he proposed uh, Gino for Damian Pierce straight up, um, and I was like, I'd probably do that. But I I, I got Gino, um, Hunter Henry, and a third for Pierce in a second. So I felt like I was slightly insured there. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll see. It's gonna be an interesting game. They play they play the Detroit Lions this week, and that'll probably be one of I think the Seahawks offense is one of the most high stakes things to watch in week two where if they're bad again in week two, I think it's like a five alarm fire for uh, Gino and everyone in that offense. Yeah. At this point I would, I would be out on Gino. I'd still hold on to everyone else <laughs> like in dynasty anyway. Like I'm not like panic selling anyone. So I think if Gino is yeah. like, mediocre to poor, they're going to be quick to move on. Yeah. I mean for Lockett though, like it's, it's now, it's now, <laughs> now's the time. <laughs> let me, let me back up. Lockett. I'm panic selling. Metcalf and JSN, like they're fine. JSN, I, I, I still feel like JSN he's is whatever, but uh, but I'm like kind of fine with it because I don't think he's gonna lose much value no matter how bad the season goes. Well, that's not true. If he had a, if he put up zero for the season, he would lose value. But I don't think he's going to put up zero. Like I don't think he's yeah. that bad, and I don't think Gino's gonna be that bad that he's gonna make JSN take zeros. But yeah, anyway, rough okay. rough outing for Gino and company. I will. Do you have anything else to say? No, no, I don't. We I don't on? have anything really profound on that. He just sucked. Um, do you have a take here? Uh, on Gino? Yeah, yeah you do. Was, no, you have a scariest on. performance guy. Oh, yeah, I have a scariest performance. I'm terrified for my dude Christian Kirk. Absolutely yeah. terrified. Wasn't that into him this year anyway, but uh, he'll always be my dude because he was my dude for many years. Right. I just, want, I just want to see him flourish, and he did anything but in week one. In fact, I would say he was the anti-flourish. He he was really, really bad. He got replaced by Zay Jones to some degree, to all degrees. Yeah. Zay Jones was literally the number two wide receiver, which is not a real thing, I didn't think. I, I did not see that as a 
plausible outcome. I thought this was going to be more 1A, 1B than like one and then like three tiers and then Zay and then like another tier to Christian. Like I, I didn't see that kind uh, of actually wasn't one. that. It was, it was actually Ridley and then a few tiers to Zay and then a little bit more to Engram and Etienne. And then yeah, buried true. under that was like three piles of dirt. And then it was yeah. like Christian Gert King and it was Jamal Agnew. Yeah, it was, it was rough, rough, rough outing. <laughs> I'm very worried that this could be the um, the norm going forward. Like, I, I don't know that this was a one-week strange thing that happened. Well, I think uh, this is a one-week strange thing. I think one catch for nine yards is a one-week strange well, thing. Well, yeah, I mean I mean the role. Like, I don't think that him playing... Oh, the role is the, role's the thing. Spot. I mean, the role was a thing in the preseason where he was coming off the field yeah. in three wide receiver sets. And at the time... I was just like, eh, I don't really believe it. And then even if I do think it's a thing, they're just going to run so much 11 personnel, it doesn't really matter. And then he's probably just going to be better than Zay Jones, and then it'll all sort itself out. Um, but, I mean, throw far in week one, it looked like they made the correct choice in playing the better wide receiver, two wide receiver sets. So hard to argue with it. They're certainly not going to change based on that performance. No. So, like, there'll be better days ahead, but I, I think that Christian Kirk is pretty much toast at this point. Yeah, if he has a big bounce back game which is sad. against the Chiefs this week, he's immediately getting shipped out. Like, there's no point yeah. in selling now because he had one catch. You don't um, sell on this performance. You sell the next good performance. They get, a, they get a high over. They get a high over under game against the Chiefs. Um, you know, there's there's kind of a possibility he could have a good game even without having a good game, right? Like you could see a game where Trevor Lawrence throws 45 times and Christian Kirk has seven targets, six catches, and 90 yards or something like that. Um, yeah, he's the next good game he has, and I really hope it's soon before people bake this in as a new baseline. Like, ideally, it's a good game this week, and there's somebody in my leagues that's like, oh, that was just a blip. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, and then we're unloading him really aggressively. Um, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, I, I, I thought there was like a total possibility that Calvin Ridley would just alpha everyone. Which is what happened. But I, but I definitely I, I, thought that Christian Kirk would be the least hurt. Of the other three. Yeah. yeah, I thought there was a, certainly not a chance that Calvin Ridley was just the mega alpha and everything was awesome for him. I just didn't think that Christian Kirk would be like a leftover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in hindsight, like, and I'd actually made this case in a pro Ridley way, and I didn't necessarily carry it over to my Kirk stance because I still was drafting Kirk. But I was like, you know, part of this was a Lawrence Bowl case and part of this was a Ridley Bowl case where I was saying like, isn't it kind of a coincidence how now people are looking at Ridley and they're saying, actually, there's kind of some target competition. Like all these guys were good last year. And it was like, well, when you have three players in the same year have the best season of their career, like we should probably say it's not on the players, right? Like it's probably on the quarterback and the scheme for kind of dragging these players upwards out of mediocrity. And to me, that was the bull case for like, actually, Lawrence is really good because his weapons are probably worse than we realized because he just kind of made them look better than they had been. Yeah. And then for Ridley, it's like all these guys were kind of better than they'd been. None of them really separated. Like Kirk only had like 11 more targets than Zay Jones last year. Yeah. But then when I took that like lens off, I was just like, yeah, but the other guys are going to get hurt more because I, I Kirk's just like better than these bums. But I guess he's not better than these bums. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's what I, yeah, I just... I certainly didn't factor in that Zay Jones might be the preferred option to Christian Kirk. That was not in my range of outcomes when I looked at Christian Kirk this year. That was not even a not even a like a no. 
I don't even know the word, like a thought in the back of my mind that was like, no, I took, didn't even I took Christian Kirk in round six of a main event team. Um, and it was a team where we started Bijan. Um, we started Bijan, um, Waddle, Mahomes, Brees Hall, and then Cop. So we were like really, really thin at wide receiver through five. We only had Waddle. We were like, let's just get a nice safety blanket in Christian Kirk. Like, you know, not a lot upside, but we can start him every single week. Feel great about it. Um, you know, we ended up getting some hits. We got Pittman in the eighth there. But uh, the, the Kirk, like, he's immediately hitting. The, he's going to start this week for us because the Chiefs. And after that, you fail this week, you're on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, again, like, just for everyone listening, remember this is week one. Like, we don't know. If this is right. going to carry on, I think Devonta Smith will. had zero receptions and, in Week uh, One last year and wound up being one of the biggest risers in Dynasty. Yeah, so like weird things can happen, and we don't know for sure. Obviously, in one week uh, to overrule our priors, but that's why this is a scary performance. We're saying, yeah, terrifying. We'll see what happens next. May, it may it's the routes mixed with the targets, right? Like mm-hmm. the routes are then being like we value Zay Jones more. And then the yeah. play is like Zay Jones is better. So it's it's tough when those things combine. Yeah. All right. So false panic. This is a totally different segment. This is this is where you are, or not you, rather the masses are panicking. And it's just false panic. Like, don't worry. They're going to bounce back. It's going to be fine. Who you got? Um, my false panic player is Traylon Burks. He uh, ran 37 routes. And he only had three targets. Uh, he got completely alpha by DeAndre Hopkins. Reason why I think this is false panic. I, I mean, I don't think that it's like unfounded panic, right? Burks wasn't good enough as a rookie that we should be super confident and in his ability to be robust to any challenges. But why I would probably be more inclined to buy him if people are selling him a little bit low. First of all, he was coming off an LCL injury and he generally was not expected to even play week one up until a couple of weeks ago. He went out and he ran a million routes. He was probably still not fully healthy. So I think we have that going for him. And then we kind of saw this last year, actually, in a few spots where it was like the the new addition. They were like, we're going to target this guy relentlessly in his first game, kind of welcome to the team, right? We saw this with Tyreek Hill. It was like Jalen Waddle was like barely a part of the game plan week one. It was all Hill. A.J. Brown, it was all A.J. Brown. It was barely any Smith in the game plan. So... I wouldn't be surprised if like Burke missed a lot of practice time. They want to get Hopkins integrated. I think as their offense moves along, the fact that he was running all these routes um, is a good sign for him and probably will see a little bit more out of Traylon Burks. And then you also get the benefit of where Hopkins is now dinged up. He might not play this week. Um, and, you know, Burks could easily step back in and start alphaing uh, Nick Westbrook or Kine and the rest of these goofs uh, in a really fun matchup against the Chargers. So that would be probably the guy that had a bad week that I am holding the line on or even potentially trying to buy. Yeah, I, I'm into Traylon Burks. I think, uh, yeah, I'm not overly concerned about his week one. I think he's a good player and he'll find his way. I think. Shiny new toy syndrome is very, very common. Um, and that was DeAndre Hopkins this week. And yeah, I think it's Traylon Burks' wide receiver room for the long term. And I'm in. So yeah, no panic for me. Uh, false panic I picked was the Atlanta Falcons 
uh, duo, Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Uh, tons of panic out there right now. And I would just like to say that the panic is warranted to some degree. Like there was a chance. And it, like the appeal to drafting Drake London and Kyle Pitts this year was what if Desmond Ritter is good? Like what if that happens? And because he was a sophomore, it's hard to say for certain that he was going to be bad. He's probably going to be bad because most day th- or day two quarterbacks are bad. And but there was a chance. It was it was an opportunity where it could happen. It did not happen. So that means that Drake London and Kyle Pitts are probably not going to win your league. That's not going to happen. That's not the range of outcomes anymore. <laughs> However, they're probably not going to be unstartable. Like they're still going to be probably in the wide receiver two range for. Uh, Drake London and Kyle Pitts to me tight end one. They're just not going to win your league, and it's fine. Every player isn't going to win your league every year, and in Dynasty especially, you just need to hold on to these guys. I'm not going out and buying them by any stretch today because they're not going to win your league this year, and it's probably going to be rocky the rest of the season, and the masses have shown a giant overreaction in week one, and I think that could continue for the next couple weeks and maybe even for the whole year. In which case, I will buy after this year, or I will buy again when there is an indication to start buying. But right now, I'm just holding still. They're going to do fine. They're not going to embarrass you most of the time. Obviously, they did this week, but they're not going to embarrass you all the time. And they're also, you know, like they just don't have that same appeal where I was going out and buying them before. That's now been erased. Now it's just like, yeah, they're a nice floor plays, whatever. What do you think? Yep. Um, I, I agree. I mean, I'm just. Yeah, I'm just holding these guys. Pitts more than London. Like, um, you know, I'm always just trying to buy Pitts because I think with Pitts, you just don't have that replicability factor, right? Like, Drake London, it just, like, sucks that he's in this position. But, like, if you can find the person in your league who's, like, thinks that they're being really smart buying low on Drake London, they're not actually buying that low. Um, I would be more inclined to sell him of the two just because there are several good wide receivers out there you can get. And I don't think you're going to be in a spot where like, if you don't have Drake Lund on your team, you're ever like super, super miserable. I think he's going to be a good player for a very long time. And he maybe one day will have an elite fantasy season, but he's probably not an irreplaceable asset in the way that Kyle Pitts um, potentially can be. It's just, I mean, it's just going to be what it is going to be like at this point in time, especially for Pitts, I think, the people who kind of have them are already in it for the long haul and it is what it is. You know, if you, if you understand and accept the terms of the bet, which is that you're investing a lot in a player that is probably not going to help your fantasy team that much. And I don't know when he is going to help your fantasy team, but that if he does eventually, and the underlying data on him individually says that he really, really, really will one day, you're going to get a big payoff. Then it appeals to you. If you're, you know, if, if you're prone to tilt, um, I get it. You've been investing a lot in him for three years and it doesn't really pay off all that much. So, um, yeah, I, I don't like have the mental energy to like convince people to invest in Falcons. Um, it's just too frustrating, but I can certainly speak for myself personally. That, like I'm going to continue to do it. I'm pretty comfortable with who they are as talents and the idea of like the macro market, you know, them losing value day to day like a stock doesn't really bother me. Like I'm more interested in the fundamentals of the players and I, I think that it's sound. Um, but yeah, it'd be really nice if Arthur Smith would let our good players score fantasy points in the meantime. That would be really nice. I got a question for you. I, I made a controversial trade the other day. Um, like just before week one, like two days before. And yeah. I got this trade offer. It's a, it's a 
complex league. Um, for all intents and purposes, I'm going to call it a two t two tight end league. It's not actually a two tight end league, but you're not going to win this league if you're not starting two good tight ends. Like okay. the scoring in it just really favors tight ends. For instance, Kyle Pitts was the 29th highest scoring player uh, overall as a rookie. As a rookie, okay. Like including yeah, all, you're going to want tight ends. So you're going to want tight ends. And he was like tight end nine or something. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like it's like it's like super flex for tight ends. Like you have to start one, and then the second one is like you can start any position. But but it's like you're but you should start your... a tight end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you, you there's like three flexes like that, so you can start a lot of tight ends if you want to. Anyways, the moral of the story is I got this offer. I had B. John Robinson, and yeah, I got a Kyle Pitts offer for B. John Robinson. You taking it? No. I did, but I, I, don't, I, I haven't. I haven't played enough in the fans in that format. But I, yeah, I just think with pits, like the whole fun in buying low on pits is that you get to move fairly replaceable or inconsequential assets to get a possibly very consequential one, and so you don't feel that bad about listing out on the points in the meantime because you're moving a bunch of stuff that also doesn't score points or or that you don't think has that type of upside. But I'm not moving Bijan Robinson to accomplish that type of goal. Yeah, well, I did it before the season, and uh, yeah, I really has I, mean, I actually I declined it at I, first, and I, I think I got like a second back or something with it. Uh, oh, like before with, the season, yeah, okay. I thought it was like today. I mean, I still no, no, get it. I get it. Like I was in a, um, I was in a startup. It was a two tight end startup, and I took pits at the one two turn, and at the time it felt great, and. I still think it's like a defensible choice, but it's pretty annoying when I look at my week one lineup and it's a best ball league. Uh, so it's a two tight end best ball league and Noah Gray makes my lineup and Kyle Pitts doesn't. That doesn't feel great. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's a complex league. Like I said, it's not a, right. it's not a traditional league by any stretch. The scoring throws it for a loop. Normally I would have, Smash no, but I got the second on top. Took pits, and uh, n- now I'm sad. But prior to week one, if things might have turned out differently, I wouldn't have been as sad. So we'll see. Yeah, you know uh, what crazy sucks. We'll see. So Kyle Pitts had a had a 26 yard catch called back by a Drake London penalty in this game. Um, yeah. And if that catch does not get called back, he would have led all tight ends in yards this week. There you go. By six sense. Can't, uh, I mean, he's still good. He's still good. Just, he's still really Arthur good. Smith, yeah, man. Arthur Smith is just yeah. Like in twenty, 20- <laughs> I just, I just, I just want him out of our lives, man. And we're not going to get him out of our lives anytime soon because they have such an easy schedule. They're going to win like nine games, and he's going to still be the coach next year. It's it, it's infuriating that this guy is just completely burning through the contracts of Kyle Pitts and Drake London. And all he wants to do is just win ugly ass football games, not <laughs> contend for anything. And the, the greatest joy in his life is getting to make fun of fantasy football in press conferences. Like that's that's all he lives for. He's just like Drake doesn't care. We want to know. Uh, that's for the fantasy football nerds to worry about. Like just fuck off, Arthur Smith. Like <laughs> it's, it's not it's not a fantasy football question as to why you didn't get your eighth overall pick coming off a great year, more receptions than your quarterback. That's like a real question about real football. 
You beat the Panthers, who suck. They oh, suck. Gosh. You beat them at Love home, it. unimpressively, because they gave away the ball a couple times in the fourth quarter. That's like you don't get to just gloat up there, right? It's embarrassing. If any other serious team that was contending for the Super Bowl has that performance, they're not smugly being like, "Yeah, man, we we slept walked our way through a, a, a mediocre win against one of the worst five teams in the NFL. Go us. We don't have anything that we're gonna fix. We'll leave that for the nerds." No, fuck you. <laughs> well said. Well said. Uh, Which brings us to our next segment the biggest fraud of week one yeah you want me to go um, first? well i'll go first it's in the same game and then i'll switch it to you okay yeah mine was in that game it was miles sanders it was a very weird game falcons only ran 51 plays the panthers ran 77 so this is kind of a stick to priors i guess it was a player i was fading but uh this is a guy that i'm going to continue to fade at least for the time being 18 carries four targets looks pretty darn good Issue is the usage was a little bit funky. And I think this is one of those scenarios where the week one total numbers don't tell the full story. First of all, they had 37 total touches to running backs. If you count LaVisca as a running back, which is effectively what he was in this game. That's not generally going to happen for any team in the NFL. Um, Never mind the Panthers, who is a team that probably not be running 77 plays very often because usually only good offenses get to run 77 plays with any sort of frequency. The average in the NFL tends to be usually in the low 60s. Also, four receptions for Miles Sanders. That's pretty good. But really high number of dropbacks total, 42. He runs a run on 21 of those, which is okay. That's decent. Kind of getting into the weeds. But Chuba Hubbard played every third down in this game. So that's eight of his routes came on third downs, which is typically when we want to have our receiving running backs out there. That leaves 64 combined non-third down snaps between Sanders and Hubbard, so on early down snaps. Sanders ran 21 routes on his 44, while Hubbard ran just five on 20. So like double the rate of routes run on early down snaps for Sanders versus Hubbard, despite the fact that Hubbard was actually the one used as the receiving back on passing downs. So basically what I'm taking from that is that probably by just some element of kind of dumb luck, they just happen to call more pass plays when Sanders is on the field and more run plays while Hubbard was on the field. So my guess is that that routes split is actually not going to be quite um, as high moving forward. Maybe he does wind up getting a little bit more of the carries. Also, Sanders winds up getting the goal line touch, but that was his only to carry in a short yardage situation. Total six short yardage carries, one goes to Sanders, four go to Hubbard, one go to LaVisca Chenault. So while the total usage looks pretty good, a lot of that is due to the play's run. And I think when you dive a little further into the stats, it's a little bit noisy. Sanders still profiles as an early down only back who is losing some element, really most of the short yardage. And if you're between the 20s, early down back on a team that we don't expect to be very good and score a lot of touchdowns, that's that's a problem. So I, I still view Sanders as probably a fairly inconsequential low-end RB2 this year, um, despite a pretty encouraging uh, week one in the raw numbers. Yeah, I I actually when I went through it, I, I didn't realize the intricacies of the routes run. What I saw was that there was two to one routes run for Miles Sanders versus Chuba Hubbard. So a whole bunch of carries for Miles Sanders and not that many for Chuba Hubbard. And I thought, 
wow, they're actually doing the thing where they said they were going to like play him like he caught a bunch of passes in his rookie year with the Eagles. That's great. I will buy because he's really not expensive at all. And he might be a three down back or maybe not a three down back, but he's going to probably be running a lot of routes and catching hopefully some passes. Um, I think his routes run were like 45%. Is that what you said? Uh, I had him at 50 actually. Okay. So like 50, which is like quite yeah. high. Like it's not, it's not like Christian McCaffrey or anything, but it's quite good. It's okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, I'm I'm gonna go against you on this one, and I'm actually still probably gonna buy a little bit of Miles Sanders. And one of the reasons is, uh, you know, who Kyle Borgoni is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He wrote an excellent article slash thread on why third downs don't matter for running backs. Have you read it? Yeah, yeah, I saw that, and he's he's totally right. It's just usually that the third downs like. Third downs usually matter as like a proxy of things that do matter, but third downs themselves are, are very useless snaps. Yeah. So I'm not that concerned that, um, oh, Chuba Hubbard ran a bunch of the third downs. Yeah, whatever. What matters is he ran the routes, and he did run the routes, and maybe it was all happenstance, and it just happened to work out that way, but it also might have just been the way it worked out. He played a lot of snaps, and therefore he was on the field a lot. We'll see. I, my bigger, I mean, my bigger concern would ultimately be the touches. Like twenty-two touches is incredible, but twenty-two out of thirty-seven total running back touches. I, I do think that that's an extreme number. Um, I think if the, you know, to some extent though, like I don't think that those rates to scale. I think that you'll see teams kind of cap out how much touches they give to one guy, and so if there's less total running back touches, maybe it's a higher percentage. But just the fact that they were still using Chuba in high leverage situations and in short yardage tells me it's a part of the offense. Um, so I don't know. I'm 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 out on Sanders, but I, I get your point. I guess my question would be like, how high do you think the ceiling really is for this guy in this offense? And, that, and that's part of the issue is it's not that high. Like it's maybe a high end RB two is probably what you're getting. Which yeah. I don't think is that expensive though. Where I'm like, ah, that's fine. Like I, I would take that. And like I've it's I want to trade for him. Like a second. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like a mid to late second is, is fine. I, I'd probably yeah, I'd. I probably again. I'm probably not going early second because I really like early second round picks. But I, I would certainly give a mid second for him, and I'd probably throw a little on top, like uh, I don't know, something else, <laughs> something else on top, like another player that I don't really like that much. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I had him in preseason. I had him in my mid second tier, um, and that's yeah. probably where I would keep him. I felt like this was a better performance than I expected coming into the season. So it was better for sure in terms of the raw stuff. I thought that the, I thought that the rotations were mostly kind of what I expected, mm. but I just think that the, the 77 plays is providing a little noise on the raw touches. Like, yeah, I think I mean, most times that we run the simulation run on how many games they play, it's, it's like 13 and three instead of 18 and four. <laughs> Fair. All right. So that is Miles Sanders. And uh, if you want to find that article, uh, the guy's name is Kyle Borgoni, and it's at Kyle underscore Borg. And just search yeah. his name with third downs for RBs are largely, and then you'll find it. That it is, is a really great point. We, the, the thing is, like, we don't normally, usually, like, third downs are almost a proxy variable. It's like we want the running back to place the third downs because that's usually also the running back who plays um, the two-minute drill and who runs a lot of routes generally and gets passing work generally. But, like, yeah, the times that we do see a back who's, like, purely a third down back, 
like the lines last year. Remember when I was like, it was actually a three-way committee, and you were like, no, it wasn't because he didn't have any touches. I was like, but look at the snaps. And it was like, yeah, because every week Justin Jackson was playing every third down and never getting a touch. <laughs> so it was like, it was like a committee. He was playing. He was like eating snaps, but he, he, he was on the field. But he yeah. may as well have been the water boy. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So our last topic, Zay Flowers. I got yeah, him in here. For, this, the is the most, this, this is the biggest disagreement for sure. And I don't, I feel like this may be misconstrued because I think he had a very impressive um, performance. I think where I'm feeling like he's fraudulent is what I've been seeing people talk about his value at. And that's where I'm drawing the line. And I'm like, I don't think he's there yet. I think he's probably uh, a very, very good wide receiver. So like, let, let me just back up a second. Zay Flowers had a really high target share. I forget it was 30 or 40%. It was an outrageous target share. He basically swept everyone else out of the building. So great for him. Uh, that target share seemed, it was only a 2.6 average depth of target. So it seemed like a guy they wanted to get the football into his hands. Unfortunately, that was like the only way that they got the football into his hands. It felt like, and that was disappointing. Uh, and Mark Andrews wasn't there. So Mark Andrews, ultra, uh, target earner comes back, takes 25% of, of the targets. And the Ravens also didn't pass all that much. So I felt like the Todd Monken thing was a bit overblown. And now I'm like, are we just getting more of the same where we're getting 30 pass attempts a game? We're going to get 25 to Mark Andrews. We're going to get a bunch of low dot uh, targets to Zay Flowers. And he's going to be a really nice player. He's, he's definitely an NFL player. No question about it. There's no bust factor here. I just don't know how high the ceiling is. And I'm not willing to go to he'll develop into like this really great wide receiver at this point. And I feel like that's the price tags we're getting into where it's like, like I, I saw people trading him for like, or saying they were going to trade him for, or maybe they did, I can't remember now, but like Drake London. And I'm like, I'd probably still rather have Drake London. I feel like there's a yeah, high Yeah, I would definitely there. rather have Drake London. Yeah. And there isn't with Zay Flowers. And therefore, I feel like Zay Flowers I, is a fraud. Well, why, are, wait, why are we saying that there's not a high ceiling for Zay Flowers after one game in which he earned a 40% target share? This is like the kisses you're doing the Chris Olave thing. You're just like saying there isn't a high ceiling, like in a tautological manner. 2.6 ADOT. This is yeah, this in is one fucking game. Yeah. We've only got one game. Why would you go to best case scenario to players only okay. played one You're game? You're saying that there's no a player who has played one game is a categorically insane thing to say. Also, you're doing the same thing that you did with Alave again, where you're holding him against what you're holding against him is that he's getting too many short area targets. If you just took away some of the short area targets, he could still have like a 30% target share, and then he'd have like an eight eight dot, and then you'd be like, oh, this guy's good. But because you add a bunch of extra targets to get to this insane target share, now his ADOT's too low. Okay. It is, it's brutal analysis. You are talking about a team that has passed 30 attempts per game forever. We're talking about a player with, who with is, a different play caller that they have now. Yeah. So we've won, we were one game in, and so far it still looks the same. Maybe it'll change. In a game that they won by like three touchdowns. I hope it changes. I hope it changes. We're one game in. I just don't know why we're rushing out to best case scenario on a player that is in an offense that historically has never passed the football, that has a high target earner that did not play, that peppered him with like manufactured touches. 
Yes, I, manufacturing filters are good. Guy comes in. They say, man, we've got to get this guy the ball. I like that. I guess yeah, you don't like, like it when, when teams want to get the guy the ball. I, just wish I like they it when also teams wanted to pass him the ball. ball when he wasn't the only option. Okay, well, the, so far he's played one game. Yeah. And your your take on that is that that he would be less fraudulent if Mark Andrews was healthy, but Mark Andrews it's not like he that he's not like he played a bunch of games with a healthy Mark Andrews and was bad. He just has never played a game with a healthy Mark Andrews. So he yeah. can't he, he, so I'm not he can't do things that he's never done. Scenario. I'm not rushing out the best case scenario and trading for Drake London or any other really good one. No, this is you're, you're, you're like game. hacking you're 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 like hacking through the straw. Like I agree with you that the Drake London thing is crazy. All of our listeners agree with you that the Drake London thing is crazy. There's a big room between trade him for Drake London and he's a fraud. And like that's where sanity reigns is between Like I just mentioned, I prefaced by saying this may be misconstrued. I'm not rushing out to best case scenario on this player at this time. I think okay. he's probably what would you let's let's talk about it in first instead of straw manning Drake London into this discussion. Okay. Let's I'm talk not about this in first. Okay, I'm trading a mid-first farm. Absolutely. That's crazy. It's not crazy. We have a first-round pick who is productive, who in his very first NFL game, the team is like, we are turning our entire offense into the Zay Flowers show. We need to get him the ball as much as humanly possible. Let's go. Sometimes it doesn't have to be hard. A mid-first-round pick at this point of the year could not be a mid-first-round pick. It could be Drake May. It could be... Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm not willing to forgo the op- the opportunity to get one of those players onto my team for a for Zay Flowers. That's really what it comes um, down to. Every league might be a little bit different, but I would say that this year I think that there is less elasticity to mid first than usual, based on the fact that there are in most of my leagues two to three to four teams that are actively trying to lose every single game on purpose to get Caleb Williams. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. There is a generational quarterback. Like I've, I Normally, I would totally agree with you, and it's totally a league-to-league thing. Everybody listening, you know what your league is like. Yeah. But most of my leagues this year, it's it's like more segmented where it's not like there's just a bunch of bad teams. It's like, like for instance, I have some picks in some leagues where I just have a really shitty team's pick. Like I just have a manager who's just a really low-value team, and their team is just naturally bad. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have like the 101 or 102. I'm not going to have the 101 or 102 because you know who is able to do better than a team who's like naturally bad, a team who's trying to lose games, right? Like I'm I'm in a spot where I'm in a league where I'm trying to get Caleb Williams and I'm in the arms race. I'm in the reverse arms race of the century. The only two players I have on my roster left that will that will be active on Sunday are Josh Allen and Michael Mayer. And the only two players that he has that are going to be active um, or three uh, is like Kincaid and I think like Kendra Miller and like some other bum. And it's like, who can get to zero players first? So okay. uh, if you find yourself in these leagues, you can feel pretty safe that if you have like a mid-ish first, it's probably going to be in the 105 to 108 range. Having said that, I take back my stance and I agree that if you're in a league where a mid first is an absolutely locked in mid first, not a like fringy mid first, then yeah, I'd probably be fine moving a mid first for him. Uh, as long as you're like confident, it's like the 105, 106. If there's a chance it's in the 104 or higher, 
then I'm not sure. trading it. Sure. Whatsoever. Fine. Even if I don't think it's going to be 104 hour, if there's a chance that it could be, I'm not trading it for Zay Flowers. That's fine. Yeah, it is. Of course it's fine. Top of this draft is loaded. I'm excited. It's more loaded than it's, this. It's going to be good. Lot. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be an interesting draft here. I mean, we'll see. Hopefully, the mid first like it gets thicker as we go. So far, it kind of seems like a studs and dodge draft to me, but we'll see. Maybe they they often do though. Like at this point of the, the, the draft season, there often is studs and duds. Uh, yeah, it's you'll you'll we'll get a bunch of guys that outperform what the expectation is that we've never even heard of before that arrive. Uh, and then we'll get some, like, there's a bunch of like, uh, quarterbacks that are playing exceptionally well right now that may or may not declare early for this draft. I yeah. kind of think that they probably shouldn't because it, they're, it's already locked in at the top with Caleb Williams and Drake may, but, uh, they might. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think this draft is going to be at the, like, yeah, again, looks very studly at the top, like very, very studly at the top, like unlike very. This last pass class, where we had Bijan Robinson and then like kind of everyone else, that was not a great draft from a studs perspective. No, this one, I, I mean, feel like we have like, the very least, least like four should be four. Totally loaded, right? What's that? I mean, at the very least, the top four looks loaded. Yeah, I feel like we have like three or four like Bijan level prospects in this class. Maybe not quite Bijan, but like yeah, yeah. I mean, we're gonna have. Caleb Williams probably walked in as a top thick startup pick. I yeah. could I could legitimately see him going 101 in some startups next year before he ever plays the NFL game. Um, I'm not saying I'm I'm taking him there. I'm just saying like I think that's going to happen. I'm not taking him there, but I I 100 expect it. Maybe not 101. Like I th- I still think Patrick Mahomes will go ahead of him. And like most of the time, for sure. I just could totally see someone like in the one off posting sure. the screenshot. Yeah, yeah. Um, will do but I think the, I think his like, ADP will probably be like 104. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it'll be close to that. Let's say he's behind Mahomes, Allen, Hurts, maybe even ahead of one of them. If like one of them has kind of a bad year or something. Yeah, but then we got Jefferson. Allen, Chase. Allen keeps playing like he played Monday. I think he's going to for sure be ahead of Jefferson Chase. I think so. And I think he'll be ahead of Lamar. And then I think he'll you know, be ahead of Lamar. And unless, I think unless Lamar of, crushes And then it kind of depends. Yeah, it will depend on like Burrow, Lamar. Herbert and Lawrence, if like one of them has just an outrageous like MVP style year, they probably end up ahead of him, but he probably yeah. is then ahead of the rest of those guys. So yeah, he probably goes like 104, 105, 106. Um, I think Marvin Harrison will like walk into the league with kind of CD Lamb, Garrett Wilson, like Amon Ra, like tier value. Yeah, I think he'll be a wide receiver three out of the gate, basically. Yeah, I think he'll be like an early second round pick. And then, I mean, I think May probably would have been for most people the best quarterback in this past year's class. So if mm-hmm. Bryce Young was going in the late second, May probably starts going in the mid to late second. Um and then we'll see with Brock Bowers, but I, I think you know he probably a little more draft capital and landing spot dependent, but I could easily see him going in like the third round. So it's gonna be a pretty um crazy top four. Yeah. And I, and I haven't even mentioned a running back yet. And then some running back is going to get good draft capital with a good team and then people are going to really love him. So yeah. Which is why I'm like I'm not that interested in trading. I mean, do you like for, any of the running backs this year? I kind of don't like the running backs in 2024. Uh, 
Yeah, like there's some interesting ones. I don't like there's no Bijan. I think Travion Henderson's pretty overrated personally, but I, I don't know if I should say that yet. I haven't like dug in fully enough to like be just firing off takes, but pretty like early to be like throwing the number one recruit slash number one running back for the last two years completely under the bus is overrated. It's a little early for that. His freshman like year is pretty impressive. I feel like Brees Hall got that actually. He like kind of got skewered after his uh uh he was like the number one player for like two years and then in his junior year he kind of got skewered i don't really know why hmm. and then he went to the combine and like crushed the combine and everyone was like yeah breeze hall let's go and then but nobody wanted to say that he was generational interestingly uh no but uh i think it's the iowa state factor and people steal the iowa state and are like you're david montgomery dude that, that was his, that was actually what happened like in his third year he he was like suddenly like David Montgomery and people were like oh he's not athletic. Then with the combine and like exploded the combine. I'm like how do you like I don't watch film. Don't get me wrong. I have no idea how to tell somebody's athletic on the freaking TV. They all look athletic to me. But how do you watch David Montgomery and watch Brees Hall and come to the conclusion they're the same guy? Like I, I just yeah. By the way, maybe, maybe that's what they look like. Maybe that's Iowa has like a slow field maybe, and it was just really right. slow with David Montgomery. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we could, I mean, we could have, um, we could have put this under surprises, but like really encouraging surprises. Good week for the ACL boys. Yeah. Um, yeah really sad week, obviously, for the Achilles boys. Um, yeah. Well, both both those who were previously with Achilles and Cam Makers, and then obviously, especially those who have newly ruptured their Achilles. Um, J.K. Dobbins one broke my heart. Twenty yeah. percent target share, seventy nine percent snaps. I, I thought I had a massive hit on my hands, and then it was gone like that. Yeah, it was looking great. Uh, or I'm there, like, I it was I was just chimed into a Twitter discussion on JK Dobbins. Yeah, and I agree with you on this one. I, I've been fighting with people on the Discord. People have been saying like, I mean, I agree with the the endpoint sentiment, which is that his fantasy relevant career is probably over. Yeah, but I've seen people being like, you should sell him for a fourth, and I'm like. No. What's the point? <laughs> like, I mean, I think I would sell a third for him or like I'd sell like a player worth a third because I think at some point in time he's going to be worth a two to somebody. I mean, we've seen this come back, you know, time and time again. And at the worst case scenario, like who are you really drafting the third? A bunch of backup running backs, right? Like, yeah. Probably be that. Contingent upside, like usually not even backups. Usually it's like backup backups. So right, half, half the third round running backs we drafted were healthy scratches this week. <laughs> and one of the second round ones. It's rough. It was rough. So yeah. Anyways, it's uh, yeah. I, I would. Uh, so f- f- so the, for those that didn't see on Twitter, basically my stance was like you should buy him for anything less than a second. You'll probably be able to sell him for a second at some point. You'll get the first. Uh, like we've talked about this in the Discord for years now. You'll get that like first report that's like, oh, he's ahead of schedule. Oh, he looks great. Oh, like or he's on schedule. Like whatever. And he'll be yeah jumping in the water or running down the track or whatever he's doing be some kind of workout video and everyone will get hyped up and then he'll line on a depth chart somewhere eventually because i think he's a free agent after this year and you'll get like a multitude of stuff be, be like a you're on the subway like you just take this stop or the next one or the next one there's gonna be a bunch of times that you will have an opportunity to get up the or of jk dobbins for probably a reasonably tidy little profit and I just think you should. I like. I'm not buying him with the intention of holding him forever at this point. I'm buying him with the intention of I'm gonna flip him. Like I stash him in my R. My R isn't full. It's fine. We got room. Uh, come on in, and you just sit here for a year, and then we'll 
punt you once we get to uh, next year's uh, training camp or or before if we start getting the you know the miracle recovery tweets etc holy so yeah anyways i think this class 2024 class super super strong at the top and we just don't know about the rest yet we'll find out there's some really good prospects but you never know until you get the draft capital like i i can list dozens of players that we would have been like this guy is going to be a first round pick and then he doesn't even get drafted or gets drafted in like day three like equinemius st brown is like the first guy i think of in debbie circles he was like a first round debbie pick for his entire college career he declared early for the nfl draft he like did pretty well at the combine and then everyone expected him to be drafted on day two and he fell all the way to like round six or seven and this like so many guys. Do you remember that guy that Washington picked up in like round six? Kelvin Harmon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a People guy had him won. as the wide receiver one in that class before the combine. Right. Like he was yeah. he was not just like a guy that was gonna go on day two. He was gonna be the number one wide receiver picked in the class. People thought not everybody, but some people thought, which is crazy. And then he got drafted sixth round. Like it's really, really we're too far out to pinpoint the middle of the draft. But you can usually pick out the guys that are going to be the very top of the draft. And right. in this class, we've got four. And we then we're probably going to have – what's we're that? Have, yeah, we've got four locked. Four um, locked. You know, and we're going to have – I don't know exactly have, which running backs, but let's say we're going to have at least probably two drafted early. Probably Travion. Yeah. Probably one of Allen or Sanders. Yeah. And, and we have – uh, guys are certainly going to go in first round. What's what's the other guy at Ohio State? Amecha. Yeah, that's, I just said yeah, Amecha Agbuka. Yeah, yeah, he's probably going to be a first round pick uh, in and the then NFL the draft. Neighbors, Xavier Worthy, they have opportunities to potentially be first round yeah. picks. Like we could have a really strong class, and at worst, we have a really top heavy class. So yeah. to to pivot off of the Zay Flowers talk, and the reason that I'm not buying for a mid first is because we could have a really really good player at fifth overall. Like an incredible player, like a near Bijan level player at fifth overall. Who maybe not a near, near Bijan player at fifth overall. Okay, maybe not near Bijan, but fourth overall we could. Yeah. The only the only way that we get one of them at fifth overall is if we get like a first round running back. Like if Trevian Her- yeah. Henderson goes yeah. 20th overall to the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's going to jump Kyle Pitts yeah. and Brock Bowers, and we're going to get Oh, that Bowers would bring me so much joy overall. if he went to the Steelers. What's that? Um, I'm bringing a lot of joy to the Steelers. I'm just, I'm just being silly about the time that Najee Harris was not that good and then got drafted early, so then people picked him over Kyle Piss. That's all I'm saying. Um, which I guess it's worked out so far for no one, really. For no one. Nobody won this. It's the Najee Harris trackers. <laughs> you could have got out on Najee, though. Yeah, you could have got out of Kyle Pitts. Really yeah, you could have gotten out on both of them. Um, but uh, look, we're, we're, we're well into the two-hour mark at this point, but... Uh, it's been a lot. It's been a long ride to get to the point where it's pretty commonly accepted that Travis Etienne is the victor of the 2021 running back class. But we've, I we've, still think it we've, could be we've held strong. Oh, I, I feel pretty good about where I'm at right now after week one. But uh, we'll oh yeah, see. Etienne we'll see. right now. But I think like when when it's all said and done, I think we could be looking at Javante as the wider or the running back one of the class. Today, it's definitely Travis Etienne. I hope to stay at Etienne. I've always, that that would be. Uh, right. I'd love to. See, I'd love to see that through, start to finish. But um, I was excited by Javante in week one too. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. where can the uh, listeners find you? 
They can find me on Thinking About Thinking, which is my name, jacobsanderson.substack.com. Um, part one of this week's Hitchhiker's Guide is already up, and it's free. Um, by the time you're listening to this, I think part two will probably be up as well, because I'm going to write it um, like right now, uh, or the last three backfields I'm going to write about. Um, I think I'm going to have a more dynasty-focused kind of think piece-style thing about buying high um, on early season trends. Uh, I think I'm going to do that on Saturday, but no promises. And you can find me on Twitter. Um, at uh, Jacob Sanderson. All right. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Abin Counter. You can follow me on or find me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bulletproof FF. And uh, the Discord is going to blow up your phone. I just, like I said, did a, a blurb on literally every fantasy relevant player. It took me six and a half hours to write. That's uh, great. It was a monster. Really enjoyed it. So, uh, hop in there and then we've got rookie reports and all kinds of stuff uh plus jacob is present and does sure. many uh i'm around fantastic comments and analysis analysis so yeah find us there and until next time have a victorious week too yes absolutely do all right have a good one everybody